Yo, yo, it's K-Shed Uncuff time. Let's do this, y'all. Um, sitting here on a beautiful Saturday afternoon, just kind of enjoying life, taking it all in. A lot going on uh, from daughters graduating and putting things together to head on off to college. My youngest daughter moving on from eighth grade to ninth grade, so now she's officially a high schooler. Um, June's been like packed with all kinds of like stuff going on, and but it's exciting all the same to see them all grow up and um, get ready for their first flights out in the world. You know, so all that is beautiful, obviously, but at the same time, when you turn on the news, you hear kind of shocking news about what might be going on in um, Russia right now with a, a possible uprising. You really don't know exactly what's going on. The news is just very, just kind of thwarted in the sense that the government of whatever country is not going to let everybody public-wise know what's really, really going on, obviously, and that has always been the case with Russia, but it's very, it grabs your attention none the same because you just you hope that everything that's going on right now is going to be resolved without much bloodshed because it's the innocent people who always get caught up in the middle with everything. Vladimir Putin has always been an intriguing person to everybody. It, it, I don't care what people say. He's he's lived a very interesting life and his rule has been uh, engaging to say the least. You just never do know what's going on with this guy. He has this wicked smile that makes you think he's like this godly person who's going to do everything in the world for the betterment of his country. And, you know, but he also, you just hear stories that he's not the one to be messed with either. So I don't know, man. I'm not from the Soviet Union. Obviously, I've never been there before. I don't know anything about the culture per se, other than what I read and what I see. Obviously, I know it's a beautiful country with a lot of history. And But right now, it's the hot topic in the world. And I think the others, just like me, are forced to just sit back and just uh, pray for uh, a peaceful ending to this situation going on over there. But um, it reminds me, in a sense, back way, way, way back in the days, people would ride their, their ponies to work and all that stuff back in those days. I'm not that old, but I'm talking about way back in the days when I was a, a police officer. It feels like so long ago now since I've just been chilling and re retired and all that stuff. Uh, my eyebrows are starting to grow back and all that stuff because it's a lot less stress and you know it's nice to be able to reflect and back in the days and so when me when I think about what might be going on over Russia it reminds me of the time when I started my own like little coop at the police department and it's, it makes me laugh now because it was like like what the heck was I thinking but my dad built me to be like a very very you know I wouldn't say use the word vindictive but I don't like when I get targeted unfairly you know all I ask for is just unbiased attempt to get whatever it is that I'm looking for or I'm trying to accomplish in life without someone trying to screw me over for no good reason other than the fact they just don't like me for whatever reason. I have no clue what a particular person's reason for being hateful towards a person would be uh, just out of the blue, but I ain't got time to be thinking about all that stuff, but so as I've always operated with the, the model that, hey man, leave me alone and I'll leave you alone, okay? I have no jealousy in my body at all. I'm very, very happy when people go out there and do what they gotta do to uh, pave the way for a better life for themselves. And I would expect that that's what people would want from me. So uh, when I think about back in the days when I was a police officer, you know, I mean, I, I had some good days, good years, good cases, good everything really, just like any other normal cop. I've made my mistakes when I was a young rookie out there in the streets and stuff. I made my great arrest. I've done all kinds of things that was this full spectrum uh, that is a normal part of becoming a cop and learning how to do the job. You know, it's just by no means am I trying to say that I hit the, hit the ground running when I first got my badge and, um, you know, hit the police car. I was very raw. And but what I'm getting at is that once I outgrew all that stuff and I started really, really doing some hardcore stuff, you know, I'm chasing down murder suspects, man. Not, not very many people can say that they've done that before, but I did. A guy just got done knifing this dude to death on his 
tw I believe, 21st birthday, just split his stomach open where his guts came out. Um, I didn't see that part because I was the first one to arrive on scene and I saw the suspect trying to get out of there and I went after him, you know, and thankfully he had dropped the weapon and he couldn't really move very well because during the process of stabbing the victim, he cut himself in the leg as well. So he couldn't really run very well. So there was no like, like standoff per se. It's just when I caught up to him, I ordered him down to the ground. And as I'm going through the procedure of order him down to the ground and waiting for my cover unit uh, or second unit to get there to help me take this dude into custody, the victim's family members caught up with us and they tackled this dude while I'm holding up at gunpoint and they fling, flung him down to the ground and started wailing on him. So I literally, I had to act and go in there and uh, kind of get those guys off him because they were doing damage to him. And then I had to kind of uh, put cuffs on him myself and then the second unit came and we were able to get it, the whole situation resolved. Uh, I didn't know at the time that what had ended up happening to the victim, and um, unfortunately, he had gotten stabbed to death at his own party. And that was a night where he was getting ready to become eligible for this inheritance that he was going to get. So it was a fantastic day all around the board for this young kid. And unfortunately, his life was cut short. You know, those are the type of things I don't miss, obviously, when it comes to being out in the streets and stuff like that. Those are very damaging to the psyche when you think about what this poor kid had to have gone through. And all he was really doing was just celebrating his 21st birthday and enjoying life. And then all of a sudden that happens. You know, it just lets you know how crazy and unbelievably sad the life for certain people can get. Shoot, I could be talking on this podcast and then all of a sudden earthquake could just destroy this whole area we're in and stuff. I know that's what my parents and all those my relatives are always thinking about and it could happen. Um, when I'm thinking about, you know, this uprising that I tried to do. I think about like, why would I, why did I do that? And I know why I did that. I did that because I knew that I would want my girls to grow up and get to the point to where they're so confident in what they're trying to do and what they stand for and their morals, their values and stuff, and just their overall outlook of life. Hey, don't mess with me and I won't mess with you. It's very, very simple. But if you do mess with me and I've told you plenty of time to stop messing with me, guess what? The gloves are coming off. So, you know, my daughters, they, they need to have an example out of their parents that, that shows that, hey, look, you have to at some point learn how to defend yourself. So in my eyes, that's all I was doing. I was at the point where, like I said, I was killing it as a police officer. Man, I was, I was just bringing in the people left and right, arresting people, just, you know, resolving some crazy situations and stuff, just, just doing it all. Well-rounded police officer. And it was one of those ones where I didn't just stop at that. If I was driving around uh, the area where I was patrolling and I was responsible for and there's like these crappy looking cars on the road and all that stuff on the you know curb line I would leave messages and uh, warnings hey you need to park you need to move your car or whatever if it's abandoned vehicles and you know because it just looks horrible out there for uh, these neighborhoods and you know a lot of other cops don't worry about that type of stuff they don't have time for what they call beat health and stuff but I consider myself a well-rounded police officer where I needed to to take care of that stuff too. I didn't like my the areas where I patrolled and was responsible for looking like that. So, you know, I would always rotate to that too. Okay, let me focus on beef health this week. And then I'd tow cars left and right and stuff. People were hot too. Hey, you can't do that. The hell I can't. I gave you all the warning you needed and you still left it here. So, you know, I, I've made some people unhappy because of that, but you know, that's a responsibility that's on the car owner. But yeah, I took my job very, very seriously and I was becoming the type of officer who, you know, a lot of other officers would like look to to say, hey, dude, you're doing good out here, man. Uh, you're, you're, you know, and it's because I, I remember learning from my field training officers and I, I took all the things that they taught me and I wanted to be a representative of those guys uh, who taught me how to be a police officer. And that's what I took dear to heart. So when I started uh, putting in for different assignments and stuff like that, I started focusing on the SWAT team and right away there were people who did not like that for their own reasons. I mean, I 
I have to be honest with myself, uh, some reasons were very valid and there were situations and stuff prior to me uh, showing interest in the SWAT team that uh, some of the veteran officers and other officers might have deemed my officer safety wasn't the best, you know, but just in one particular incident, and I can be honest, I'm a very, very real person. So on one particular incident where I took a lot of heat, um, and when I think about it to this day, I don't know if I would have done things any different, but we go to this call at this dude's house where he had this problem with uh, sniffing paint or sniffing uh, whatever inhalant or whatever. And he would, uh, what he would do is he would uh, puff it and then all of a sudden he's high as a freaking kite and he's acting a fool out there, uh, just walking around the middle of the front of his house and just flipping people off and just doing really crazy weird stuff. So his parents would call us and then once he saw us, he'd take off running into the house. <laughs> And so, and then we're just like, okay, all right, he's back in the house. He's not causing problems again. And then all of a sudden he'll just start doing stupid stuff again, throwing rocks at people's houses and just, just acting the fool. And it's because he was huffing this freaking paint stuff and it was just causing him just to lose his mind. It was just like taking freaking meth or something like that. So it had gotten so bad that uh, ascertained the welfare's calls were just steadily coming from this house. So this particular time uh, we would get, we'd call, we'd surround the house, we'd have like our SWAT guys and stuff who, the, you know, the SWAT team wasn't activated at that time, but there were SWAT unit uh, personnel. So they pretty much took over the calls of those, those type of natures. And so um, I just remember us kind of posting out outside and kind of waiting for some type of uh, a break to be able to call the guy out and he comes out and everything and this just, you know, and then we handle it that way. Well, this particular time, we we're all kind of like in position and this dude comes out to either throw the trash away and he had no clue that we were out there surrounding his house. So when he just stopped and he was just kind of chilling outside, looking around and all that stuff, I'm waiting for someone to get on the radio where only we can hear it like, move, 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 let's get this guy. You know, he's out of the house, he's right there, he has nothing in his hands, there's nothing in his hands at all, no weapons, nothing, he's right there. Let's get him. For whatever reason, that call didn't come. And I crept up from my position. And I literally thought, guys, that there was going to be two other officers who were th thinking what I was thinking. And we were going to like like triangulate this guy. One come from the right, one from the, come from the back. And I was going to come from the left. And we were going to tackle this dude down on the ground and get him all secured so we can take him to the hospital to be psychiatrically evaluated. That's what I thought. It would only make sense to me that we would get this guy outside when we had the chance to. There was a time back when I first started when that was like always the game plan, you know? I mean, you'd wait for the right moment to where it was safe. Dude had nothing in his hands. One would distract him over here to the right while somebody else came from the left and just grabbed him. It, we used to do that all the time and it was highly successful. Just at that time, I wasn't quite understanding or realizing that, you know, uh, due to officer safety concerns, we were moving away from that type of approach. So when I took off running after this guy and I was about, I had a perfect angle, just like I was against the freaking bears and stuff like that. You know, after they released me, I was about to come in and freaking knock out one of their guys and stuff. Cause I had the perfect angle. And then all of a sudden I hear a bunch of yelling, Kenny, what are you doing? Get down, get back, get back. I'm just like, what? I'm right here. He's right here. Come on, help me. And nobody moved from behind their trees, behind their cover, behind this and that. And then I was like, like right there by this, by myself. He still didn't realize what was going on, even with all that yelling. And I'm like five feet away from this guy, about ready to pounce on him. And then the yelling was so loud that I had literally no choice other than to stop and um, avalanche, I guess, turn around and abandon what I was about to do and run back to where my cover was. And now, guys, it would be okay if what ended up happening did end up happening. So after he saw me and he took off running and he locked himself in the house, then we decide, okay, here's our plan. They tried to call him out, he wouldn't come out, which was, uh, I mean, anybody could see that coming. And now we position ourselves around the house again, and then we, f we force entry into the house 
And we go in this quiet uh, search of the house, you know, room by room, very cautiously with like, well, they did. It was like maybe seven uh, SWAT team guys. And I'm not laughing at them, but I'm just trying to say, wow, okay. Um, and then they went and they searched the house. After they searched the house, it took like 45 minutes. They found the guy down in the basement area sleeping. And then we took him into custody. And it was, it was trippy to me, but okay, if that was the route to go, because it was just so weird how it all went down. I'm not going to say who the sergeant was or anything like that, or who the team members were who were yelling, get back, get back. I'm not going to do all that, but that was just weird to me, you know, but again, it's who ended up looking bad was me. I was like, thought that was the most ridiculous thing I think I've ever seen where we had the chance to get this guy into custody, like right away. But instead, we're we're waiting, and now we're we're risking harm to ourselves by forcing our way into this person's house who we don't know anything. It could be booby trapped or whatever. He could be lying and waiting and all that stuff. And we had no clue what we were facing, but that was the route we chose to take. So. Pardon me if I just did not think that that was the proper way, you know, and but in the end, the person who uh, looked bad on that case was, was me. So I ended up um, taking all kinds of fallout from that. And that that circulated throughout the department that I'm unsafe and my officer safety sucks and stuff like that. And I'm like, OK, all right. So that stood with me for a bit. And they always say that once you get a jacket as a police officer, it it's, takes forever if any time to go away, it, it, it stays with you forever, pretty much. So uh, when I was trying to uh, get onto the SWAT team, there were members who took votes and stuff. And like, I'm quite sure half the people said, voted no for those reasons. And then um, the other half of them, maybe plus one said, no, let's give them a chance. So what I was became a member of the SWAT team. It was it was fantastic. It was just a whole open eyes up to a whole new way of policing. The training that we would do was like amazing. It was so critical for a young officer to know how to file into a house in those those high priority moments where you're trying to take out a suspect before you can harm somebody um, and do it safely. Uh, it, it just you just gain that type of knowledge and training, and so it just you can't even recreate that type of uh, current. So it was it was fantastic. The only problem was that after a few few months of everything, they thought that I was going to fall out. The other members who didn't really like me to be on the SWAT team, they thought I was going to fall off on my own, but I was getting comfortable. I was getting my confidence going. You know, I was doing everything I could to work as a unit. You know, I mean, uh, my profession prior to that, just we didn't do that type of stuff. So I was, it might have taken me a couple different times rather than just being able to kind of grasp it right off the bat. I'm not afraid to say that stuff. So, you know, if you, a lot of other people who were the same as me, uh, who during training exercises, they'd search a room and they'd walk right past the guy who was hiding behind the doorway and then they move on and I'm then I get the guy and I catch the guy. I'm like, whoa, didn't that didn't such and such just screw up and not catch this guy? And then nothing would happen to them. That person who ran past the suspect, nothing would happen to him. All of a sudden they're getting like uh, assignments to kind of hold uh, lineup training at the police lineups and stuff. And they're going over different things. I'm like, wait a minute, this guy just just screwed up uh, at training the other day. Why is he getting this opportunity to do this? You know, but anyway, certain some people were treated differently than than others and I just that just went with me I guess I mean I had uh, pushed too many buttons and and people just some people it rubbed the wrong way so <laughs> all right again that was just that, that was part of how I grew up man my dad was just uh he was one of these people that just hey I'm gonna give you my best effort and all that stuff but you know I mean uh, I'm gonna learn at my own pace at the same time too you know I mean I'm not gonna pretend to be something that I'm not and I would never do that so if I wasn't ready to move on, I would want to sit back and, and do some more training. Shoot, I remember one time in the NFL, I ended up, this was a bad call, but um, I did it anyway because uh, our receiver unit with the Jets, were um, we were going to go one-on-ones with the defensive backs, right? So on that particular day, our receiver coach and the defensive back coach, they, they both got into it for some reason. They were mad at each other for something. They started yelling at each other and stuff. So... They both decided, well, F you. Well, no, F you. And then they decided that we weren't going to be doing one-on-one -on -one training that day. 
And so our receiver coach turned around and they walked us, our receiver group, in back inside and we were going to just do some other BS stuff. And I took it to heart because I'm like, dude, I'm trying to get out there and um, get my routes down, man. I'm ready to just to unleash on these guys. And, and this these workouts are meaningful to someone like me who wants to get extra work in. So I wasn't happy with that. So after we hung out in our receivers, we hung out in the meeting rooms a little bit. I once on break, I slipped out of there. I'm like, and I ran back down to where the D-backs were. I'm like, hey, man, let me get a couple routes in, y'all. <laughs> and they did. But um, needless to say, my receiver coach wasn't happy that I did that. And I ended up getting, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. I took I took the blunt on that one, but uh, I never did know how to play the political game, man. I'm just like, dude, this is what we need. Stop being bitches and let's go out there and get our stuff done, okay? This little trivial, my feelings are hurt because somebody, somebody said, y'all need to let that go. We have a very important game coming up and we all need to get ready for it. I guess I was too young or new or whatever to be talking like that and everything. So anyway, but there's fun memories. Um, you know, I got out of it something. I got a couple good routes on on the defensive backs and they they were proud of me. Um, and I think the defensive coach was proud of me too, but my receiver coach did not like that in the slightest. So anyway, so, but when I would go to our training exercises, I would do everything I could to be, to get as good as I could. You know, I knew that where my weaknesses were and this is what training is for. You're there to iron out your weaknesses. Not just me, but everybody else on the team too. Not everybody is this freaking, this freaking studly freaking Marine operator who knows all that stuff and has been a Marine for years and years and years and knows how to storm and do all that stuff. Not everybody's like that. So, so the ones who kind of want to learn how to do it, even the littlest things, you know, you got to give them a little bit of leeway. And I started to see that that wasn't the case for me. You know, I mean, the people who, who voted for me were there and they were very patient and they were watching over me. But then I was, as I was hearing the people who said no to me, they were mounting up and they were like trying to start a grievance against me to say, to get me ousted from the team. And, you know, that was back in the days where if they, uh, people on the, the SWAT team, if they didn't want you on the unit, they would find ways to get you off. I remember, and I'm not going to say the name who of this person, but I remember this person got kicked off the team for apparently leaving his rifle out from his locker and close friend of mine and I'm just like we talk all the time and we bring that that story up all the time and he says Kenny, I to this day don't know how in the world I could have left it out because it was the, it's the first thing I put away every day. I made it a, my point to when I got off the streets, I would put my rifle in my locker, then I would get undressed and put make sure I'd look around. And then before I closed my locker, I'd make sure everything was picked up and in my locker. He's like, I remember doing that that day. And then so when we as we talked, it was. It became very uh, apparent that that something else might have played a factor in that. And then what we talked about is like, you know what? I do remember like a week or two before that incident happened with my rifle. One of the other like lead uh, officers on the SWAT team asked for my locker number because. He they were going to be cleaning the rifles when on our days off. So he asked for, he, they were asking for everybody's locker number. So he gave him his locker number and he saw that, that, you know, his gun had been cleaned or whatever. But now some other people other than this guy has his locker combination. So, and it was just kind of like weird. He thought that that was kind of weird. Like a week or two later, all of a sudden, which is something he's never done ever, all of a sudden he leaves his rifle out and then he gets kicked off the team. So I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm not saying anything. You know, you guys know how I roll. I tell the stories and it's up to you guys to figure out what happened there. I mean, I don't know. My version might be different than what really actually happened. So I'll leave it at that. So those were the type of days though, when, when if you knew that they didn't want you on the team, your time was limited. And I could see things getting really, really tough for me. You know, uh, I was, I was being being told I was being put in no win situations and one particular time I remember on a training exercise they said yo shit we want you to be the point person oh I'm just like smiling like, oh great 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 man I get to be the leader you know follow me guys so we get ready to go 
And so uh, I'm not going to say who he was, but this particular person who was kind of like overseeing the operation, I guess, told me very specifically, all right, Kenny, when you when you enter the, uh, the building, this was during the training exercise, by the way, when you enter the building, I want you to pan left. OK, there's room to the left that needs to be secured first. So uh, don't go right. Go left. All right. You got what I'm saying? Yes, sir. You want me to go left, not right. Okay, yeah, do not go right first. I want you to go left into that room right there. Copy that. We're ready. I'm, we get, we put our, I tell the people the operation, we're gonna be storming this uh, business and stuff. The suspects here, this and this and this. Um, you know, I'll take point and then everybody uh, file off from me. So I go there and people stack up behind me. And right before we go, that person said again, Kenny, remember, I want you to go left, not right. Hey, gotcha, gotcha. So, all right, we're about ready to start the operation. I take a deep breath. Everybody, everybody pats, make sure they're ready. And then we go. And I go down the hallway. I'm just about to go left, just like I was instructed to. The person behind me, or someone behind me, grabs me, literally grabs me by my waist and tosses me flings me into the room on the right and then the team files in behind me and I'm in the right and I'm just like oh shit uh and then we kind of got kind of got like uh backed up there in the right because there was really nobody with me and then and then all of a sudden the operation was stalled a little bit because no one really knew where to go and you just like this bit of chaos for this minute there I'm like oh shit and then we we finally recovered and I'm just like it's still kind of like what the fuck just happened here and um, it took me a minute, and then now all of a sudden I'm I'm behind the stack, and then as we keep going down the hallways, I'm just like, okay, well, I you know, I mean, everything seemed to work out after the operation. This debrief time, and uh, the same person comes out who told me to go left, steps out in front of everybody, and is like, guys, y'all did well except for Shed. Kenny, what did I tell you? I told you to go left, and you went right, and I'm just like. I, I didn't get, I didn't intentionally go right. I got pushed in there and he's like, are you kidding me? Are you freaking kidding me? You're gonna come up with an excuse saying that you did that and you didn't go right on purpose? I'm just, and then I, and it was just, I'm shocked. You know, this is just unacceptable, unacceptable. And he was about ready to turn around and then finally somebody who had my back and he was so tired of seeing me get treated like that steps forward and I will always honor this dude to this day. Fantastic person. Um, I will say his name. Dan Fernandez was one of the best freaking San Leandro police officers ever. And at that moment, he had seen and heard enough. He had got tired of seeing a guy who busts his butt on everything he does get treated like that unfairly. And he stepped up and he's like, look, I might have accidentally grabbed him and pushed him in the right. I know that for sure, and that was my fault. He was trying to go left, but I accidentally bumped him. I might have nudged him, and he, which forced him to go to the right. But it was definitely was not his fault. And that person who he was talking to kind of had to swallow crow a little bit, and he, because I, after that, everybody kind of knew, at least I knew, what was going on, you know. And he's like, okay, all right, well, all right, well, let's continue on with our training. And then it went away. If it was not for uh, Fernandez stepping up for me, I that would have been my last day. So I applaud him for what he did. He was just a very, very strong person and uh, just a great leader. And um, his time at our police department meant a lot for me. So my podcast gives me a chance always to shout, give shout outs to those who, who I, I'm very fond of, uh, both as police officers, as football players, and as coaches uh, who taught me how to be the individual that I am. So, but that was a very hurtful type time. You know, here you are, you're thinking life's great. Uh, you know, you're doing all these different things and stuff. And then your confidence is getting torn apart on a SWAT team because these guys don't want you on the team. So it didn't end there. That I averted disaster that night, but then it just kept getting worse and worse and all that stuff. And then, you know, a couple of silly mistakes uh, that weren't small by any means on my end really put me in a really bad light. And then that gave the open the door for these guys to really put me on probation 
and then all of a sudden I'm about to get removed from the team, but they can't just kick me off. I have to leave on my own. So I was very defiant at that moment. I didn't like how it all went down. I thought I was done unfairly. I thought these guys went after me in a way that was just, uh, I was doomed from the beginning and I didn't like that. I thought they were protecting people who weren't as good as me, weren't as good as police officers as I am, just not as a, a quality as I was, but they were basically given the free pass over me. And I got tired of that, guys. I said, no, forget this. You know, for all the people who have tried to be SWAT officers who have been ousted unfairly, I'm gonna make a stand. And I literally looked myself in the mirror, I'm like, I don't, well, actually I knew what was gonna happen. I'm like, I don't care what happens to me. This is, I'm gonna put an end to this stuff. So I went to one of the commanders, I said, if this doesn't stop, I am going to go directly to human resources. Well, what's going on? Well, I think this particular person is mounting a, a pledge to get me ousted from the SWAT team. And I don't like that. Well, what do you need? I'm like, well, that person needs to back off off me. And I'm just like, okay, well, do you not go to human resources if that happens? I'm like, yeah. So I tried to do the right thing. And then I thought things were gonna get better. I thought that particular person was gonna get talked to and everything was gonna work itself out. And lo and behold, it didn't, it, it got even worse. And so I went to the human resource department and I said, and I filed a grievance. I said, I told them everything. I said, this is not, this. I think they're doing this because of the discrimination against me for their own reasoning and I wanted to stop. So a big old investigation, it wasn't a big one, it was like, because I kept it low. I was like, look, I just want to be left alone. I want to be able to be treated fairly. You know, if I fail on a SWAT team, let it be because it was me who screwed up so much that, that I could not hang. And, um, you know, there were times, guys, when I had one at that time where we do a, a real life operation, or, you know, we're doing an arrest warrant or search warrant and all that stuff. And then we have our SWAT team mounted up where I would be the only one on the SWAT team who was put on the outside on the outside perimeter. They were having detectives who weren't even on the SWAT team on the entry team and other people who they were friends with and all that stuff who were on the entry team. And I was the only one on the SWAT team who wasn't on the, who didn't roll up in the van or the, the cars and file up single file file to, to storm into the house. I was on the outside perimeter looking at the fence <laughs> and I'm on the SWAT team, you know, and so that's how I was being treated. And I just, um, on that particular case, guys, I mean, how ironic, I'm the one who caught the suspect when he jumped the fence after he heard him coming in and I was the one who knew exactly where he ran to. So <laughs> it was just, I was, I was put in these unwinnable situations and I would always prevail and it did not matter because they wanted me off the team. It had gotten that bad. I had to put it into that. And so what I did was when I went to the human resource department, the SWAT guys and commanders, they heard about that and they were livid. They tried to, they tried to talk me out of it. They tried to do all these different things. They tried to, uh, bully me they tried to you know try to intimidate me and i was on a whole nother level at that point i'm like fuck y'all i ain't backing down you know and then they tried to one of the next steps that needed to happen before the human resource department which brings me up to why i named this podcast shed versus spagnoli is because I had to talk to the chief prior to this type of grievance getting more traction and more serious because if the chief of police can be alerted to some type of treatment that their um, officers deem a little bit unfair, then it's the chief's responsibility to oversee everything and fix the situation, you know? Especially if the person who's filing a grievance doesn't want anything out of it. I wanna handle this in-house. I just want people to leave me the fuck alone, you know? I don't mess with you, you don't mess with me, okay? All right, I'm not hating on you. Don't keep doing what you're doing to make me look stupid and make me look bad. You know, although I was making some stupid mistakes too, but that was just really because I was just, I was so rattled, I had no support, and literally I was looking for anybody to support me and it just wasn't there And at by that time. And so I was literally, my confidence was gone and I, was, I probably should have quit on my own, but I didn't wanna throw in the towel. I didn't want these guys to win and, and accomplish their goal which was to get me to quit. So I said, forget that, I'm hanging in there. And so part of the process was to reach out to your chief and talk, try to talk to the chief to see if that could be made, if things could be made okay. So the chief at that time was Chief Spagnoli. Uh, 
wow. I don't even know how to describe her other than a very bright police chief who was a lawyer and extremely insightful. Her um, social skills are very good. She can talk like the best of them. Her, her senses were very strong. She can sense all these different things. If people needed to be talked to, she had a, she had like a, a routine in place where it would go up the chain of command. And if it got resolved before her, then great. That's how it should be handled. But uh, she just knew how to regulate a police department, to be honest with you. And that's why I thought that this was going to be the perfect thing to be done was to go to her. Because if she's, if she's the type of person that she portrays herself to be, then this thing is going to be fixed very quickly. And I can go on about my business. You know, I might let go of the SWAT team because I don't know if that could be salvaged, but at least hear me out, chief, and just know that all I'm trying to do is represent not just the, the good old boys on the SWAT team, but the but the hard worker minority groups and stuff who all they really want is just their opportunity to, to rise up the ladder and not have to worry about people messing with them and stuff like that. There's a group of those people too, and I'm right in there in the mix. So I'm representing these guys, chief. So just let me tell my story and help us fix this stuff. That's it, it's very, very simple. So I set up a meeting with, with the chief and lo and behold, the SWAT people did everything I, they could to derail my meeting from like telling her it was a different time and then telling me it was a different time and then trying to distract me after a, a lineup and, and try to get me to come and talk to these people over here who ha I've never talked to in a long, ever really. All of a sudden they wanna talk to me and I'm just like, wait, I gotta go. Hey, where are you going? Then they step in front of me. And then I'm like, look, I gotta go to the bathroom. And then I go run into the bathroom. And then all of a sudden, somebody else on the SWAT team comes from the other door. Hey, Kenny, how you been, man? Hey, tell me, how's everything going? How's the wire? How's the family? I'm just like, uh, hey, I, I, don't, I don't know. I just gotta go to the bathroom right quick. And I go in the bathroom and I don't have to go to the bathroom and I'm waiting. And then they're waiting outside and five minutes goes by that I come outside. Hey, so, hey, uh, how you been? Tell me about the family. Where you going? I'm just like, dude, I gotta go. Uh, uh, I gotta get my car ready then I run outside and stuff and then there's somebody else on the SWAT team waiting by my car hey Kenny what's up man then I'll say hey look I forgot something inside then I gotta run back inside stuff get in the locker room then I see somebody else on the, at the first level saying shit my man come here give me a hug buddy how you been I'm like oh my god how are you been? I gotta go though. Uh, and then I try to go upstairs and stuff because that's where the chief's office is and stuff. And then all of a sudden I hear footsteps running up the stairs as I take the elevator. And then now the same people who are downstairs are upstairs. Dude, it's so nice to see you. I'm like, look, leave me alone. I gotta go. And then it was like the most bizarre setup I've ever seen. I thought I was in a like this uh, murder mystery type film where you know, I'm like the only living witness and stuff. And I'm just, oh shoot, I'm about to get taken out here. And it was very bizarre. I had to run from that person from the second floor now. And then I I dipped around into the bathroom and I remember sitting there for like, like, 10 plus minutes knowing that my meeting's coming up with the chief and I said, oh my God, are you really gonna go through with this? If I go through with this, this is gonna absolutely cut my throat. If this, if the chief doesn't have my back, I, I am done here, just done. So, but ever the readings, every, all the things that I've gotten from that chief at the time was very, I felt very comfortable at that point to that, that she was gonna listen to me and that she was gonna make things right. And so I just said, after 10 minutes. Uh, I, I even, I think at this moment, I, I had a coin in my pocket at that moment. I just, okay, look, coin, I need you to help me out here. And I flipped the thing up. Like, I think I flipped it like 150 times maybe. It said, if it's heads, I'm going to talk to the chief. If it's tails, I'm not. Flip it, bink, heads, god dang it. Let me try again, flip, heads, bink, Ah! Oh! I did it like mother another 187 more times and then it went heads every single time. I that's a true story guys. Every single time, almost almost 235 times it was heads. So finally I said, "Okay, all right. I think this is a sign that's telling me that I need to go in there to talk to the chief. She's going to have my back. Everything's going to be just fine." I took a deep breath walked down the hallway towards the chief's office the and now there's like six SWAT guys all standing in front of the chief's office they're all saying hi hey Kenny how you been I completely ignored them walked straight past them and their looks of shock were very visible their jaws were like wide open and then when I passed them they look at their friend and all that stuff and they just had this look of pure hate just as I walk all past each one of them 
And then I said, sorry, guys, I'm busy. And then I walked straight down the hallway to the chief. I said, chief, you ready? He's like, yeah, let's talk. And then we walked in and cl closed the door. And that's where it all like began. And I was just like, well, I looked around the room and I was like, well, it's official now. There is no going back. I, I have no choice now but then to go through on this. So how did it go, I guess, would be the question. Um, it was something that it went from one of my very favorite moments in the world, really. And I'm exaggerating a little bit. I mean, it wasn't that special, but I mean, I've talked to the chief many times before, but uh, most of them was because I was in trouble <laughs> for something. But then this time, I really thought that I had been through all that stuff and I've, I've been through trials and tribulations that comes with being a cop. I've really turned things around. I'm, a, I'm the perfect example of, of staying strong and doing what you have to do to overcome your weaknesses and, and just becoming better at being a police officer, which is your career of choice. You know, I, I literally took that to heart. So I went in there and I said, I deserve this opportunity to sit down with the chief and brag about myself because I've been through a lot. And I really thought that I was the type of uh, mentor to these young officers who needs somebody strong, where if there's concerns going on from the minority, they should be listened to too. And here I am with this fantastic opportunity that I had to earn, man. That's like, you know, I mean, you have your food chest is in the middle of a, of a lake and you got piranhas and, and uh snakes and uh, alligators out there, you know, and, and you have to get to that thing. And that's like going and swimming and you don't even, not the best swimmer, but you find a way to get through that water and get to where your food chest is. Because if you don't, you're about to die. I figured it a way to do it, man. And, and, and to this day, I can't believe I made it through all that stuff. I mean, I, I can't even believe that those guys acted like that, but it was very real. And I said, I don't care. You made it through this moment. It's your time. And I said, Chief, here's why I'm here to talk to you. And she's like, after I was done and I told her all these different things, she's just like, wow, I never knew all that stuff. You know, I never knew that people were treating people like that. And she's like, but you can definitely trust me. Is there anything else? Um, and here's why you can trust me, because I have no loyalty to anybody here at this department. And guys, that should have been my first red flag right there when I heard that, when I heard her say that. But to me, it was comforting to hear that because I'm just like, wow, she's not like those other guys out there. She really does have my back, you know, but the words she just said was very clear. I have no loyalty to anybody at this department. I should have keyed in on that, but I kept going with more stories and I said, well, it's not that I think these people are bad people. I just, I'm being treated differently than the other people. And you know, and, and that shit, that's not right. There's policies in place that prevents people from doing that. So all I want is just to be treated fairly. And she's like, well, what's the next step? And I'm like, well, uh, Human Resources talked to me. They said, have you talked to the chief? Um, so this was part of it. And then so they've already, um, they've already scheduled a, um, a mediation session between me and the, and the supervisor who I have a, the, my biggest gripe with. And that's supposed to be in another next couple of weeks and stuff like that. Uh, the, the Human Resources Department director said it's going to be her, the uh, sergeant, and uh, maybe, maybe just those two, but then, and then maybe another Human Resources Department personnel. And then it was me and then whoever I, whoever I would want. But she's like, it's all it's really going to be is just us talking. So it's up to you if you bring somebody. But really, it's going to be so lo super low key and casual that uh, all that we are really doing is just uh, just talking things through. So um, don't feel like it's like this big old scary thing. It was not going to be scary at all. I'm like, oh, my God. Human Resources Department, I love you guys. You guys are fantastic. She was so, so calming and so professional and all that stuff. And I was just like, oh, Great. Thank you, Mrs. Human Resources Department Director. I believe in you. And then so that's why I told her, I was like, so I'm looking forward to our um, our mediation session and I think everything's going to be just fine. And then and, uh, the chief's just like, well, OK, great. All right. Well, um, thank you for everything. It's so great to have to have been able to hear all this stuff. I mean, I. I hear stories from certain people here and there, but then just getting a, a kind of another firsthand uh, account of how things could be, kind of know what my angles might be moving forward and all that stuff. So I was kind of hearing that the SWAT team is a little bit more like a, like a good old boys network, has too much power around here. So I'm going to look into that and I can tell you things are going to be just fine and there's going to be a difference around here. So you can count on me for that. I'm like, oh my God, thanks, Chief Spags. And, um, you know, she's just like, no problem, I got you. 
So I walked out of Chief Spag's office feeling really good and just smiling and I was so happy and I go home and I, you know, tell the family, tell the wife and just how it went and I'm, she's just like, oh, I'm proud of you for sticking through it. I'm like, so yeah, it was scary, but our chief's going to make things just fine. And it's one of the main reasons why she's here is uh, to, to kind of change some things with SLPD. So yeah, it was a great, great meeting. And I, I went to bed with the biggest smile on my face that night. So I'm going to push fast forward here to the time when my meeting was, the mediation session. So I walk in, it's just me. Like I said, I felt comfortable because all I'm going to do is tell my side of the story. And then I feel comfortable not bringing anybody in. I walk in, I sit down, the, mist, the mediator guy was super cool. He's like led me to where the mediation session was going to be. He's like, um, oh yeah, the other side's not quite here yet, so go ahead and um, you know sit here. There's this big old executive looking table, nice finished wood and this great decor and all that stuff. And it was just like, okay, cool. This is gonna be super professional. Uh, I feel like I've been heard, you know, and this is gonna be great. I can talk to the supervisor one on one. Uh, this is gonna be like something that that's gonna be cool. We talk about it, and you know, uh, and then we can kind of go from there. So as I'm sitting down getting all comfortable, ready for my mediation session with this particular, these two particular people, the human resources director and the supervisor. I'm just chilling, looking around, all that stuff, and I hear some voices coming down the hallway, so I know that they're, they finally arrived and stuff. I'm just like, okay, all right, deep breath, let's do this. And then the meteor walks in, and then be right behind them was, anybody got a guess who was there? It wasn't the supervisor, it wasn't the human resources director, it was Chief Spagnoli and one of the city attorneys walking in together with this look of just pure, just evil. Uh, nah, they didn't have that look of evil, but they had that look of just this arrogant smile like, oh yeah, there he is. That's the guy right there. He's the one that uh, we're about to take out. And they looked square at me and just sat down right in front of me with this beyond cocky uh, 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 you know, demeanor about themselves. And I just, I literally, I can say this honestly, guys, I like slanked down in my chair, like blew out my breath, just holy shit, are you kidding me? And the meteor was like, okay, guys, let's, let's, we're all here now, let's get started. And I could not believe it, my eyes, I was in shock. I didn't even know what to say. And I just sat there just staring at my chief and the, what came out of her mouth was even more hurtful. She said, you know, I don't even think this is, we should even have this type of mediation session because uh, after looking into the matter, uh, we feel like Officer Shedd's allegation of discrimination is completely false. We actually believe that he's been treated and written up and done the way he's done because he's a subpar officer. Um, he's, his officer safety is horrible. He's this and that. And it can't be because he's black because we have... Uh, black supervisors in, uh, in all kinds of capacities at our department who are doing just fine and they just aren't on the level of shed because he he's subpar. And and it was just like the, the stage was set for just a total annihilation from that opening statement from my chief. And uh, her lo the lawyer, the city attorney was sitting there right next to her just like, like, yeah, that's cool. All right. It's been set. We said what we had to say. Now let's get this over with. <laughs> and there was literally nothing I could say. And, you know, and I just stood there and was like, wow, okay, I wasn't prepared. I didn't have a lawyer or anybody else with me or an advocate or nothing with me. And I just, I knew I was defeated. I was done. And this is where things turned. After she said what she had to say, and she didn't stop there. There was, I can't even remember the amount of examples that she said that, that warranted me to be, you know, kind of like pushed down the totem pole and kicked off the SWAT team and all these different things and, you know, not given assignments and treated, you know, and been, you know, verbally reprimanded and all that stuff was because I was just a shitty officer. You know, there was just a, so much she just ran down the line. It's like, wow, where did she get all that from? But she just went down the line and I'm just like, each one just stung, man, like a, like like a baseball bat to the head, like bop, bop, just like, wow. And I was on my own. And when she was done, and then she's just like, you know, this is where she messed up because her arrogance prevented her from hearing the other side of the stories of what she was, the, you know, the examples she was putting out there were very real and they, they were true stories, but 
there was more to the story than just me doing something boneheaded. There was other stuff that happened to it that led to it or other stuff that happened after that that was just as boneheaded from the other officers that she for, she failed to listen to. So again, it just came out as me being this unsafe, you know, officer safety uh, uh, deprived officer who just wasn't very proactive. And she's going by the either the commanders who really, they were out to get me from the beginning. And now those are the people she chose to listen to. So where she messed up was, and I didn't catch this until, um, until we broke off, but what she said was she brought up this incident and she's like this, yeah. His uh, officer safety is just horrible. I mean, I mean, come on now. What type of officer brings a live grenade to the police department, you know, to be submitted? <laughs> and the when she said that, the mediators, his eyes just bugged out like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, he, Officer Shedd brought a live grenade to the station, uh, completely out of policy and all these different things to be submitted. And yeah, we can't have that. We can't have that type of, you know, occurrence from one of our officers. It's just, I mean, uh, many people could have died, uh, you know, if the, uh, if the grenade had uh, ignited and stuff or detonated and all that stuff at the station. Um, and yeah, and that's just that that's the reason why he's, you know, hasn't been given a field training officer position and yada, yada, all these different things. That's why he's, you know, he's not equipped to be on the SWAT team, these type of things and stuff. And he's being passed over for this and that. And I was like, wow. All right, defeated. You're done. And she left it at that. And so, and I think the mediator, after he said, uh, Shed, do you have anything to say to that? I'm like, no, I don't have anything to say. And uh, I was I was hoping he had something to say <laughs> in my behalf, but he's never met me before. So there's nothing he could say. He's like, dang, man. He's like, okay, right now we're going to take a break. And um, we'll, now that both people have said their pieces and stuff, uh, we'll take a break. I'll meet with each person individually and we'll go over some things and then we'll come back to see how we're going to resolve this. So, and I, he leads me back to my, uh, my solitary room and all that stuff. And I'm just, the walls are like super closing in on me. It's like, you know, just anyway. And that's mainly because I had just gotten my ass kicked in that uh, mediation room. And I just felt like just leaving. I just knew there was nothing I could do. And, you know, so a few minutes, however long goes by, you know, he, I think he talked to them first. Then he came in. He's like, wow, dude. He sits down next to me. He's like, dang, man. Wow. Uh, when I heard your case, I thought that you might have something there. But after listening to what she said and all these different things, man, you're... I don't know, man. You've done some things that have compromised your your standing with this department. I mean, wow. I, and those are some great examples. I don't even know where to even where to even say. It. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I can't pick a side one way or another. But that that's some pretty damaging stuff. I mean, like like tell me, like you brought a brought a grenade to the station and. And I looked at him and uh, I mean, hearing that again, I mean, it, it was a bad day for me anyway, but hearing that again and there was no me denying it. Yeah, that that is what happened. But there's more to the story than that. So, you know, I was all demoralized. So when I'm telling the story, I had to think about it. I'm like, say, yeah, I did. And he's like, wow, what what were you thinking? I'm just like. Well, it was really one of those things where I really wasn't thinking. I I was I go to a call where they they were it's what they call property for destruction where a lot of times when people they you know their parents pass away or something like that they and then their their parent one of their parents is like a world war veteran or something like that or a military person and they have like all these guns and old guns and ammunition in the attic that has cobwebs all on it and all that stuff and the, and the kids don't want it so they want to get rid of it so they call us and a lot of it is like you know boxes of ammunition uh you know in this particular case i go there and it was like a bunch of boxes, like several boxes, like 10 plus boxes of what I saw was ammunition. You know, there was broken pieces of from a, old guns. Uh, the ones that there might have been like full intact guns, but I had rented them safe to make sure that there was nothing. There was no way it was, there was nothing, no rounds in them. And there, I'm quite sure I put like one of the little zip tie things around it. To, so just to be safe and everything. So I had rigged pretty much everything to be safe, to, safely transported like I thought. Um, you know, in, in hindsight, I think maybe I should have had somebody else with me because there was just so many different boxes, but you know, I was just, I was comfortable. Those are calls you just handle on your own. You just 
you know, you take a moment and you look and you, you can see there's rounds and stuff like that and these like little uh, metal cases and stuff. And then you just kind of get the, you know, you take possession of it, you put it in your car and then you head on to the station with it and you submit it all for destruction. You submit it to property. So in that particular case, there was so much, so many boxes I, that I was trying to get like in my head as I'm driving from where I, where the house was to the station. I'm just trying to, you know, at a stoplight, I'd stop and I'd take a look at, like, I could do a visual count. Man, how many uh, rounds, you know, i just make sure the rounds were the same. Some were copper, some were, just little things like that. And I'd make sure the, the this box contained the, the pieces of the, the, the weapons and stuff. And there might have been a knife or something like that in the other box and stuff like that. So as I'm looking through, through that, I remember being at a light and I came across underneath all that stuff was a freaking grenade. And I'm looking at this thing, oh sh and I freaked out and I wasn't close to the station. I was like midway to the station and I see the, uh, a grenade. It was one of the old school grenades and it was, it was a real grenade. It wasn't like a toy or anything like that. The thing looked fucking real. And I just, I looked at him, holy crap, that's a freaking grenade. So I just stopped and I panicked. And I drove, drove to this parking lot and I stopped and I thought to myself, it was a nighttime shift and I'm just like, what do I do? How do I, you know, what do I do? And I mean, I have possession of this stuff. Do I, what do I do? So I called a veteran who happened to be a former military because I knew that he would know what to do. And so then he was watching over me as a good mentor anyway. So I'm just like, he's the perfect person to call. You know, I didn't, actually, I, I was just so thrown off. So what would have happened, what I should have happened once I found the grenade and saw the grenade at the house is you back off and you call EOD and they come out there and they take possession of it and all that stuff. And, and you just make sure everybody's safe and everything. That's per policy and that's what should have happened. So that was my mental mistake and I there's no excuse for that. You can't let something like that happen. You know, I mean, there was just a story just a, a little bit ago of a dad who got killed uh, where he, the same scenario, he came across the ammunition and the old uh, weapons that his father left behind. And as they were sorting through it, one somebody, they, they came across the grenade and someone, I would assume one of the kids or something like that, or somehow the pin got, got dislodged and the dad ended up getting killed and the kids get, end up getting uh, injured from uh, shrapnel and everything. So it was a really, really bad, sad story. And so those things are very, very real. And I was literally in the same type of position where if I had handled that grenade or touched it or whatever wrong once I discovered it, because it was all underneath like rounds of uh, ammunition, it was way down there. So it was just by chance that I... I did a secondary search and came across it. I, like I said, I mean, I should have done all that at the station or at the at the house, but I just everything looked like, oh yeah, these are all rounds and stuff, and and that was my fault from there. So I honestly, I, I regret that uh, to this day. But when I found it, I called this guy and he's like met me where I was, and I it was a, a parking lot with nobody around, and and then he. And I, he pulls up next to me, hey man, what's up? I'm just like, dude, take a look at this. And I hold it up. He's like, holy crap, is that a grenade? And it's like, yeah. He's like, is it live? I'm like, I, I don't know. And he's like, let me see it. I swear to God, I'm not making this up. He's like, let me see it. So he gets out, looks at it, and he's holding it up. I'm like, oh, it looks live. And he's like, huh. And he expects it. And like I said, he's had uh, experience with these type of things. So I'm just like, okay, right away I was becoming more relaxed. I'm like, okay, I made the right call. I called the right person. We're gonna be, I'm gonna be able to get out of the situation, you know? Um, I made a, a horrible mistake and a mental mistake and like, okay, how do we fix this type thing? So he's looking at it um, and he's like, huh, this seems like a whatever brand or whatever. And then he unscrews the top of the grenade. He's like, and he pulls, out the metal top and he sees there's like this, like whatever pin. I'm not familiar with the, with any of that stuff anyway. So I, I'm giving you the best uh, re description of what everything looked like. And it was like this little pin. He's like, oh shit, there's the pin. And he's like, yeah, dude. He looks at everything, the insides of it and stuff. And he's like, yeah, this is live. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, great. Now what do we do with it? And I'm just like, and he's like, <gasps> and his face just turned super white and he's like, dude uh and then he this this dude plug or puts the thing the top back on 
he puts the whatever the pin back into place or whatever however he did it and then he puts the the pin back on top and then he screws it on securely and he gives it back to me he's like dude you got to call EEOD EOD. I'm just like what he's like yeah uh, uh, yeah, and then he just, he's like, I'm just like, what do you, what do I do? He's like, I, I don't know, you gotta call it EOD. And he gets back in his car and he takes off and he leaves me hanging there in this parking lot all by myself. And I'm just like, oh, and then my stomach just dropped again. So I call my supervisor, I tell him what's going on and he's freaking out. He's like, you kidding me? He's what are this and he's yelling at me and all this stuff. He's like, put it in the wherever and call the uh, fire department. And then I'm just like, oh man, the fire apartment was had to get called and then um then they had to, we had to secure everybody and he was talking about like knocking on doors and um evacuating the, the three mile radius and stuff and all the dispatchers were calling people and everybody was just like oh my god it was a horrible horrible scene anyway so uh that's what ended up happening so long story short eld came they took possession of the uh the grenade and they drove off and then they went back to doing whatever they were doing to them that was like yeah okay yeah we got it all right and then they drove off so needless to say after everything died down i my supervisors says yep so he couldn't even believe it i couldn't believe it i said sorry sarge i'm so sorry i didn't see it until it was like way late and then he's like, well, you know, you're going to get written up for this. So I'm just like, I know I, you know, so the whole thing went down to, I got reprimanded for it. Um, I got chastised, obviously verbally reprimanded. And then I got written up and, uh, you know, the penalty was, was severe as well as it should be. And obviously that's something you can never let happen again. But the, when I'm telling the mediator guy this, he's like, Huh, okay, well, yeah, it sounds like just like a kind of a rookie mistake that, you know, it, it could have been bad, but it but you it got resolved very well. He's like, yeah, but the part that I'm upset about is that, and, and I, it only goes to tell, show you how I was, I'm being mistreated is that, yeah, I made a boneheaded mistake by, by mistakenly bringing this, you know, starting to bring this uh, grenade transported to the station, but my partner did something 10 times worse. He he manipulates the grenade where it could have exploded right then and there, and we wouldn't have had a chance. And then he pulls the pin out, and not the pin, but the fuse or whatever it was called. He pulls that out, and he freaks out, and he gives it right back to me, and he leaves me hanging, and he didn't get in trouble. This guy's white. And I'm just like, this is what I'm trying to tell you. This is the mistreatment that guys like me face. How come he didn't get in trouble? And the meteor looked at him and said, you know what? You're right. That's a really good point. And he goes back in there and he tells the chief and then the attorney. And then we reconvene. And then all of a sudden, the momentum, the momentum changed. <laughs> and now the, the mediator was like, so chief, uh, can you any explanation why the guy who re responded to cover Kenny uh, didn't get in trouble because he did something just as egregious as Kenny did and she just sat there all like well actually I don't know I didn't even know that part of the story and and she's like yeah he probably should have gotten in trouble too because that was just as unsafe and then she's just like wow I, I did not know that and he's like, well, yeah, so that was been kind of the reason why Kenny brought up his gripes. And I, if you use this story, I can kind of see why he might feel like he's being mistreated. And so the whole thing changed. And now it went from me having to swallow all these different, um, uh, you know, allegations as uh, unfounded and all that stuff. And then signing paperwork saying that I'm going to drop whatever grievance. Um, I chose not to do that. And... So the cockiness that was all in their eyes and everything like minutes prior to that had immediately disappeared. And what ended up happening is they had to accept a, an L because they lost that one. They really did. And it's all because of that one like little story where they failed to hear the whole full story but it turned out to save my freaking neck. And that was a proud moment for me. I had taken on Chief Spagnoli, and to me, she was looked upon as someone who was almost untouchable, very powerful person, very smart, and just very organized, all that stuff, very well uh, respected. But the fact that she took an L on that one, I think uh, uh, affected things. I think it shook things up a little bit. 
And shortly after that is when I think things started kind of unraveling a little bit. And then she ended up leaving and transfer, transferring to another department as chief, uh, you know, a little bit after that. And, and it wasn't shortly after that, that that scandals started following her over there because of just the mistreatment of, of other people of different races and all that stuff. So, you know, I mean, it just the bottom line of everything is that if, when you get to the, be these positions of power, you have to remember, in my eyes, what got you there? You didn't all of a sudden wake up and now you're the chief of police or you're the ruler of a country or you're the head of a company or something like that. You got that position from hard work, dedication and treating your all your coworkers very fairly and equally, you know, and getting gaining respect and all that stuff. When you get that head position, that should not change. You should always make it a note to to look around and make sure that everybody is treated fairly at your place. And you guys hear me say that a lot. And that's one thing I believe in highly. So I, you know, kind of losing credibility and all that stuff. And it was it was understood because once I filed that first grievance, yeah, people, you're not going to do well at a police at a place where you filed a grievance. It's just it's just the nature of the beast. Uh, so be prepared to get, you know, ousted at some point. So but I accepted it and I knew that that was going to happen as sooner or later. But one thing that I can do is I can know that my daughters can know on a daily basis that their dad will always be there to show them what's the between right and wrong when it comes to uh, how you should let yourself be treated. And it's a, it's a life lesson that I can hold very well. It's what my dad taught me. It has carried over from his dad. And so my daughters are going to do the same thing when they grow up and they start their, you know, focusing on their careers and all that stuff. It's, it's going to be something that's going to be inside them. You know, uh, always treat people uh, with res respect and everything seems to work out fine in the end. You know, I'm, again, this episode is not to push buttons or call people out or anything like that. I came up with the episode uh, or my podcast, and I named it K-Shed Uncuffed for a reason. And it's meant to bring up stuff that other people may not be aware of, but once they hear the stories, just use it, okay? Don't go out crazy with it. I'm not trying to change anybody's outlooks on anything or their, their way of doing things. You still have to pick and choose what you use when, you, when you're dealing with people, you know, what makes you happy, what doesn't make you happy. I'm not out here to dissuade anybody from, you know, being a police officer anywhere. All I'm just trying to say is that you have to watch your back and you have to be paying attention to uh, everything around you. Uh, because if I wasn't paying attention for everything around me on that incident with the grenade, I would have lost my shirt. I would have lost my job. I would have lost my credibility. I would have lost my friends. I would have lost my, uh, my vehicle, uh, my cop car which, you know, is one of the coolest cars in the world. You know, it's nothing better than being around there, cruising around in that black and white, nothing like it and stuff. But I would have lost all that had I not used my head and figured things out and, and remembered something that was a very, very small detail at the time, but it, it turned out to loom large for me. And, you know, uh, I had a great time as a police officer, but I, I took my lumps and stuff like that too. And um, these podcasts are designed to, uh, for those who are listening to them and those who have desires to be cops at some point, to, to learn from and educate themselves from, because it's, it's, a, it's a very, very hard uh, profession to master. And, but as soon as you can accept your, your weaknesses and go there every day to try to learn from those weaknesses, guess what, y'all? You're going to be just fine. In case yet, uncuffed is gonna leave it there. Y'all have any questions, man, reach out to me, kshedoncuffed at gmail.com. Look forward to talking to y'all. Out.